0: We're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15 for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want.
1: And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Sometimes just watching them eat every
0: night
1: makes me to like, gouge my eyes out. Look, obviously imperialism was bad. Lotus eaters. Shouldn't people, steal their land, and then make them dance. Hateful is the dark blue sky, vaulted o'er the dark blue sea, death is the end of life. Ah, why should life all labor be? Welcome to history. Welcome to America. Huh. I mean, what are we going to do? Huh? Really? Nobody seeds their privilege. That's absurd it goes
0: against human nature hello and welcome to a very vacation friendly episode of still watching i'm a Fair senior writer joanna robinson
2: and i'm vanity fair chief critic richard lawson
0: and aloha mahalo here we are two white people here to talk to you about white lotus uh hbo's uh, uh i mean i guess it's a whodunit but didn't really feel that way we'll talk about all of that but uh a dive into class and privilege and race all set uh on the beautiful shores of hawaii uh richard we are only doing one episode about why lotus but we wanted to make sure we talked about it because it's a show you and i both really quite enjoyed um so here we are
2: yeah yeah no it's really like i think the best thing to be on tv almost this whole year i don't know i mean you know i just think i just i'm so on mike white's wavelength most of the time and like i watched the screeners of this like months ago and so have been kind of sitting on it you know um and because i was they gave us the last episode which they kind of don't often do um and i've just been so excited to watch it kind of take off um in the week-to-week viewing like just on social media and whatnot it seems to really have struck a chord with people other people as well which i'm really happy about
0: yeah, it's um, if you haven't seen it yet, we're going to be talking about the whole season, including the finale. So, like, please know that that is what is coming here. If you have not seen the finale yet or any of it yet, like, we recommend it. We think it's great. It has our stamp of approval. Go watch it, and then you can come back and listen to us talk about it. And we're going to talk about sort of the series in general, Mike White in general, and then we'll get into the finale and the ending and how we feel like it all it all shook out. Um, and yeah, just to say that. Our schedules got a little funky this summer, but if they hadn't, like, we definitely would have done a whole season on this. And we got a lot of people asking us why we weren't doing White Lotus. And just so you know, we, we, we had planned to. It just didn't quite work out. Um, yeah. I just we had are. to go to France yeah.
2: for three weeks, you know? <laughs> so, uh,
0: um, you know, Richard living his White Lotus life uh, <laughs> over in France. Um, but yeah. And, and so that's why, I mean, we also don't have, I think any listener emails uh, because y'all didn't know we were doing this necessarily, um, but of course you can always email us in future. Still watching pod at gmail dot com. We love your emails, obviously, and we've got a couple other special episodes coming up uh, to flesh out the summer. Next week we'll be Anthony Bresnik will be on to talk about the Marvel series What If, and uh, and then Richard and I will be going on another retreat. <laughs> this time down under for Nine Perfect Strangers, which is uh, airing on Hulu. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be doing, I think just a one-off episode about that. So send in your emails and questions about what if, or about Nine Perfect Strangers. And then on the horizon beyond that, um, there's some questions about what's happening uh, with the podcast in the future. We'll get more into that later, but um, what's probably happening is we're probably diving into American crime story colon impeachment. Um, and for those of you who have been with us since the beginning, we started with an American crime story, didn't we, Richard?
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we just can't stay away from America's great crimes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> from Versace to impeachment. Um, so, so that's sort of what's up on the horizon. Uh, and impeachment is probably where this podcast will get back into the week to week rhythm. But we will we'll be fleshing up the, the, the last month of summer uh, with these little one off episodes, starting here with White Lotus.
1: Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. Apple Card is the perfect cash-back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
0: I want to start, um, Richard, with with Mike White. You already said that you were someone who was on, felt like on a wavelength uh, with Mike White. Most people know him for um, either School of Rock, uh, you know, tremendously fun film he did. But I don't feel like School of Rock is really emblematic of like the Mike White ethos and. Um, I would say something like Enlightened, uh, the short-lived, critically beloved, commercially slightly panned uh, Laura Dern series. Uh, you know, When paired with this, you kind of see more of what Mike White is really interested in. Um, and something that I, when I interviewed Jake Lacey before um, the season started, uh, and you can read that on VF.com, um, I was sort of digging into Mike White to learn a bit more. And there's a couple, you know, several great profiles of them, including a conversation he had with our own Joy Press. But I, because I'm so reality show ignorant, I did not know that Mike White is like a massive reality show fan, ha- is like a famous amazing race comp yep. competitor.
2: Mm-hmm. With his dad. Uh,
0: yeah, with his dad. Like, this is a whole thing. I am, I am like really reality show ignorant, but this is like a big thing for Mike White. And it makes a lot of sense when you watch white Lotus or even something like enlightened and you're like, yeah, I can see how you can connect the dots from this to like our obsession with real housewives or whatever it may be. Uh So I was wondering, I know Richard, you know, at least more about reality shows than I do. Like, do you see that connection to his obsession with that medium and his work?
2: Yeah, I think he's definitely really attuned to, a certain type of personality that you find on reality shows and all and it turns out makes great scripted content too you know um a uh, a sort of self-awareness about one's prowess but no self-awareness about what makes someone annoying you know like you just see these reality show you know they they are characters essentially come on and just sort of bulldoze through things and be successful you know if it's a competition show or sort of stand out if it's like something that's more like housewivesy um, but sort of blithely ignorant of what kind of effect they're having around uh, on people around them, you know, which is right. very close to what The White Lotus is about. And certainly Enlightened to had characters like that, including the lead, Amy Jellicoe. Um, yeah, I think he's just an observer of people in a really shrewd way. And where I'm sure he finds entertainment and humor in the reality shows and maybe a little pathos, I think he kind of almost flips that equation for something like The, the White Lotus, which is funny. And satirical, but I think is also profoundly sad, and uh, it 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 really echoes his last film. He's he's done a lot of, or he's done several movies with the director Miguel Arteta, um, where White will write the script and Arteta will will direct it, like The Good Girl uh, with Jennifer Aniston years ago, Mm -hmm. Um, and his most recent film that collaboration was called Beatriz at Dinner with Salma Hayek. Which people, if they if you liked White Lotus, you should really go and watch that movie if you haven't seen it because it's very similar in tone and theme. Um, and it really feels like they're in a nice kind of dialogue with one another. So this whole sort of class tension and, you know, responses to social progress and awareness, you know, that's happened in the past 10 years or so really seems to be like something that's on Mike White's mind in a big way.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting because obviously, like, especially with White Lotus, I would say um, there is an interesting examination of of like racial tensions right because like predominantly the staff here at this resort is more diverse than the guests right and um and and that is discussed and 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 also the optics are just there but when push comes to shove uh and I think you see this especially with the like Kai storyline it feels like class is the ultimate decider of the the like sort of tribalism that we're seeing here would you say do you agree with that? What do you think?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I was talking about this with a friend the other day, like the, the whole situation with Kai and the robbery gone wrong that, you know, brings Nicole and Mark together again and, and sort of reunites the family in this kind of superficial but meaningful way Yeah, um, is such a tragedy for Kai and his family, you know, and, and I think it's really deliberate that the show... Once we, we see him leave the resort, we we never see him again. Never we only, him we, we again. hear about him. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, Paula, who is kind of existing in this, you know, in one circumstance when she's with, um, you know, Olivia and her family, she is the outsider. She is not, uh, you know, not the actual lesser, but sort of treated as such and, you know. Um, but then you see her dynamic with Kai, and clearly she's the one who's like, "No, I'm. I have a whole life to get back to. I'm in college. Like, the, we're probably never going to see each other again, you know." Um, and then she kind of makes this errant bungle. So yeah, I think it's absolutely setting class up as um, the true sort of hierarchy, at least in the world of yeah. this show.
0: I mean, especially the Kai stuff is so devastating, and like it's one of several train wrecks that you see coming, like to with slightly lower stakes, it's it's the same train wreck you see coming with like Tanya and Belinda, right? Yeah. Where like Belinda is initially Belinda who's like the head of the spa and Tanya Jennifer Coolidge's character. Uh whereas Belinda is like initially wisely like resistant to this woman and then sort of gets drawn in and allows herself to believe. And we're all watching it being like, no, do not hitch your wagon to this really erratic star here. And, uh, you know, and then when they, when the shoe drops, like, we're not surprised, but still just gutting, you know, that it happens.
2: And I think that what makes his Mike White's writing so captivating is that he genuinely, and then maybe this is coming from, you know, watching a lot of reality TV, he does have genuine empathy for yes. the monsters because yes. they are people. And I think that from one perspective, Tanya's story is so sad and she's clearly a really broken woman. But like when she's just kind of toying with Belinda, how much is Belinda supposed to care about that? How much is she supposed to care about Rachel's plight about with her husband? Mm. You know, which, you know, I think we see that turn obviously with Belinda's just like, I don't have any, I don't, I'm, I'm out, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm done. Um But, but obviously we, we still care about, Rachel and what she's going through and what Patanya's going through. So I think that's what makes the show so well-rounded and interesting and challenging is that like people behave badly but I kind of don't think anyone in, in it is a bad person. And I think Mike White is really careful to to shape the the show that way, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean I would be tempted to call um, Jake Lacy's character Shane, Shane yeah. a bad person um but it was interesting in talking to jake lacy about shane he was like you know because one of the you know this is obviously this is not the first time that jake lacy has done this but it is sort of like the biggest example of him departing from this stable nice boyfriend role that he has done in a lot of film and television right like obvious child high fidelity like all this sort of stuff like you see jake lacy and you're like ah there's the guy you want your gal with or your dude with and Mm -hmm. um uh he's he, you know he's he's lighting that on fire for this um but what was interesting to talked to him is he was like he thinks he is that guy <laughs> like he's like shane thinks he is a jake Lacey character <laughs> and he thinks he is offering something nice for his wife and like you know he see he's like is it a crime to want to have sex with your wife and he was like you know and then jake Lacey, the human steps in and he's like it is when it's just about what you want and not what not paying attention to what your partner wants. It all sort of stuff like he he acknowledges it, but like his you know this is true of anyone who plays even the worst villain. Like you have to have access, a humane access to their motivations. But I just think it's so interesting that he's just sort of like, yeah, Shane thinks he's a good guy, and I was like uh, trying to watch it through that lens. It's so it's so tough because he's so frustrating, you know.
2: And that's what makes that performance so good is that he's basically accessing the darker you know what might lie beneath those other affable characters you know yeah um and because there are moments when um shane is like friendly and thoughtful to an extent and like you know and i think at the end when they have their airport reunion i mean he is genuinely like happy and relieved and like you know i i think there is love there but there's all of this swaggering entitlement, and again, that bulldozing through the world and not really c- caring or thinking about it all, like the consequences it has. And then there, but I think that that is humanized when we meet his mom, and you're like, "Well, no wonder he turned out like right. this. Like, how could right. he not? This doting, oblivious, you know, snob essentially, um, who has such a limited worldview in terms of like what people should do with their time."
0: I um, I think that um that that empathy you discuss is so interesting because like so having watched the whole thing the way that i've started to describe the show to other people is like this is the tom and daisy buchanan show like this is the show meaning the characters from the great gatsby who's identifying you know characteristic other than their you know wealthy privilege is carelessness um and there's this you know not to be like basic English major about it, right? But there's, you know, famous quotes from Gatsby about like how they smashed up lives and just went on with theirs. And like, so that's, that's how I think of these White Lotus, though I have more, I have empathy for Daisy Buchanan, but I have more empathy for these people than I do for the Buchanans. But like this idea of you watch this, if you, if you rewatch the show from the beginning, knowing how it ends, and you watch this ship of assholes, like come to shore, and they're just about to like, wreck so many lives and 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 end one you know what i mean like what happens to kai what happens to belinda what happens to armand like all the stuff and not that they are like not that kai and armand are not like at least slightly complicit in in like or in armand's case more so complicit in like sort of what happens to them but it's just sort of like it's you you're on a an upsetting collision course and part of that whole vibe is underlined of course by the fact that we start with this casket And I wanted to talk to you about that specifically because, um, it is so, so something that I've heard from actually multiple showrunners and actually for a while since, um, Riverdale was first announced and I was at the Television Critics Association press conference for that. And, um, the showrunner for Riverdale was saying that he was sh- trying to shop this show about Archie around and nobody wanted it. And then it was someone's idea to put a dead body in the pilot. And then all of a sudden, like, people wanted Riverdale. <laughs> and so, this idea that, like, a lot of networks want a dead body in the pilot so that there is that mystery that, um, and it's almost hard to get a show greenlit without a dead body in the pilot. I mean, especially if we think about what we've been watching on. HBO, right? Like flight attendant, Maravistown, the undoing, all this sort of stuff, chasing the big little lies of it all, et cetera. And um so my question is, do you think this dead body is in the pilot because HBO was like, Hey Mike White, we'll let you do your show, but we need a dead body in the pilot? Or or do you think um or does that not seem likely to you? What do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean the dead body in the pilot thing is interesting because that's that's how Paw Patrol got made. I don't know if you if you watch that show, but um, uh, I mean they had you know they're the Paw Patrol. They had to investigate a murder. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think when I when I first watched this show, I felt it it did feel a little bit like okay, this is how you hook people in. You know, mm-hmm. you 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 add a mystery that you know really the, the the vast majority of the text of the show isn't concerned with that in the slightest. You know, yeah, um. And I rewatched a lot of it, you know, to, in, in prep to talk to you about it. And it feels a little bit like the ending and what happens to Armand and like how it echoes it, you know, how, how it's kind of book ends the series. Like, it does make a little bit more sort of textual sense, I guess. But it still does feel like um, an adornment that, yeah, is definitely mandated by the needs of television executives and less then i mean because i think mike white would have just opened the show on the boat you know and maybe ended at the airport but i don't think you know i don't know how important it was to him that armand dies i guess at the end
0: yeah i mean it i think what feels most important about that is the fact that there's like zero zero repercussions it seems for shane right right yeah that armand dies and we don't even see shane like being interrogated by the police (laughs) right do you know what i mean like it's just as opposed to what happens to kai right you know what i mean and it's like um or or we presume happens to kai since we don't see him again but um yeah it's interesting to me and and what i do like about this series that like let's say hbo is like mike white you can't do the show uh unless you put a dead body in the pilot um and there's a mystery element let's say that that's the case what I do enjoy about White Lotus, if that's the case, is that we don't come back to it until the very end, right? Yeah, and you, right. you, and if you were just watching this week to week, you might have even forgotten.
2: I
1: mean, <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe not, but like you know, and, and I haven't seen as much like who's in the box, what's in the box, conversation around White Lotus as there is usually around a show with like a mystery death you know in it because i you know he just doesn't he doesn't keep cutting back to the airport or you don't have like the big little lies sort of greek chorus being interrogated in the police or you know or whatever to remind you that someone dies at the end yeah um i'll admit that when john grease's character showed up to to woo jennifer coolidge's character tanya and he's like coughing i'm like oh well you have one bad cough (laughs) like you're dead right and uh so that was a nice, I I I got duped by that. Uh.
2: I I think also that you know it is setting up the tension or the the question throughout the 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 series um, of whether it's Rachel, you know, and and so you're I like guess. you know like yeah. I I know I know it's not like totally hinted at or whatever, but like you know he's a guy he's like I'm on, on I'm on my honeymoon. He just was looking at a coffin. He's alone at the airport, and the other couple is like, "How was it?" And he's like. You know, kind of rude to them or whatever, and it's like, oh, did 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 Rachel, did the wife, whoever this wife is that we have yet to meet, did she die? And I think, kind
0: yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
2: And I think that if that if that tension is supposed to be in there, the ultimate point is like, no, no, of course she's fine. It's just some hotel employee. Right. It's just some some guy who like was like a local. Like you know, I, I think that like, oh, we're, we're we're wondering and you know what's going to happen to Rachel, whatever, and it's like, no, 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 nothing. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, as is so often the case.
0: And like literally nothing, like yeah. And that I mean, the Rachel, Rachel going back to Shane, I think is probably part of what put Tom and Daisy in my head. But like, yeah. I floated this idea of, of this being like the Tom and Daisy Buchanan show to someone, and he was like, "Who is the Nick?" And I was like, "Maybe there isn't a Nick Caraway. Maybe there isn't. Is there a character in this show? Like, if if you if you have these people behaving badly." usually in a show like this there is some sort of like wry observer of the bad behavior who is like your audience proxy right and you would you would you would think that it would be like usually i feel like it would be like sydney sweeney's character right like yeah. the the daughter or something like that but like even even the young women who are like woke are so performatively woke you know what i mean and when push coasts shove that's not going to be the priority. And so you don't really have that person who's, like, observing all of this mess. I mean, there's, like, uh, Belinda, kind of, or eventually, like, the Quinn arc. The fact yeah. that Quinn, like, stays is really interesting. But ultimately, like, we are sort of at sea with these people, uh, all making choices that were a little uh worried or very worried about, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think with Quinn, you know, I think he could have been the Rye observer. Armand could have been the, the Rye observer, but I think that in Quinn's case, what I like about that arc so much is that, you know, he's the kind of zonked out on his phone, sleeping in the closet, you know, like just kind of like the weird black sheep of the family. Um, and then kind of spins off on his own thing and becomes the only one who enjoys the trip, you know, yeah. who who's like, Oh, this is a beautiful place. And yeah. the, and these people are, are so kind to me and what what an adventure to go out on this boat and, you know, row to another island. Like, you know, I, I I like that it's the kind of tuned out, you know, kind of parody of a Gen Z or whatever kid who is just sort of almost by accident stumbles into an experience, into a kind of epiphany. Um, and so I think he is the observer of the of the show, but he's pointed in the opposite direction, you know.
0: I I love that. And I, I also love the, that, um, these numbing agents that the Gen Z characters have, whether it's the girls, their drugs or him with his electronics and, and pornography, et cetera, uh, that that's stripped away from them. Right. So then they have to just like deal with the world without that layer that they have, uh, grown to be dependent on. And, uh, and, and how each of them sort of interacts with that, that like, ultimately uh olivia leans back towards her family right mm-hmm. and quinn sort of breaks free i hope he stays in Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> mean, it,
2: it's interesting he does break free i mean i i think if you if you look at this show and and maybe it's i think it doesn't fit one-to-one obviously but like as a sort of metaphor for colonialism right like mm-hmm. these people come they ruin everything and then they leave you know um but some remnant stays in the form of Quinn. And I think it's good that he has, like, made these rowing friends and, like, you know, it seems to be kind of found something kind of in the physical world, you know, versus the digital one to be passionate about and to be excited about. But, like, there's still something invasive about his presence there and, and sort of not understanding of, you know, this isn't like a lark. This is a cultural thing. This is a tradition. This is part of, you know, the, the, this place's heritage um and and to just kind of drop in because it's something cool and different and fun like i i do wonder like how long does that fascination last and what happens when it you know goes away
0: it's true i like you know just because it ends with him like paddling into the sunset doesn't mean that like quinn's uh you know mossbacker uh nature won't (laughs) rise to the surface who knows um i want to talk to you about steve zahn's character um you know, this is a great role um, as Mark, right? This is a great role for Steve Zahn, uh, an actor whom I love. Um, and well, it's not entirely different from what we've seen from him before. I think it is just like a really sharp use of what he has done really well in the past and to give it just like a a lot more weight. What did you think of of Mark's whole arc here?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a really, thanks to White and to Zahn, like a really subtle but, but, but clear, you know, portrait of a sort of like modern uh, white ma- cis man and, you know, American in crisis, you know, with his, you know, his gender performance and, and all of those expectations. And, you know, I, I think that Zahn. You know, who in the past was the kind of good times, the stoner, the party boy, whatever, with some variants, you know, um, you know, it's interesting to see him play a full grown up who uh, is kind of not sure how he got there. You know, how he turned how this became his life, you know, Um, and I think that that's a, a great sort of evolution for an actor like Zahn, who has always been I guess he's always like seemed his age, if that makes any sense. And it's like, well, now he's this age and, and it really works for him to, to play this, this someone at this kind of crux point in their life.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I was trying to think about, like, he, he did great work on Treme. And I was trying to think about, like, what's different from, between that role and this role. And I think that, um, I think it is, like, that boyishness, that sort of, like, immaturity has always been a part of the Zon ethos, and, and and I love it. I love everything that he's ever done. He's always, like, a bright spot, right? But to put that in this, like, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say emasculated because I don't believe, uh, believe in that word, but, like, you know, this this sort of beta to his wife. He uh, believes he's emasculated. Yeah, yeah, ineffectual with his children sort of uh, family man is is really interesting really interesting part for him and similarly like jennifer coolidge uh as tanya like i was i was reading this great interview well she jennifer coolidge gave a series of great interviews including one for vf but um you know where she was talking about how she was like resistant to do this afraid to do this because um you know because she had been like so depressed during pandemic which is extremely relatable content and mike white's like come let's go make a tv show and she's like oh what i don't want to um and but it is such like it's a perfect what a perfect present this is for a woman who has been wonderful again like steve zahn has been wonderful in everything she's done but has been like sort of a caricature <clears throat> whereas this is like a character for this wonderful comedic actress
2: yeah, yeah. She's really brilliant on it. I mean, everyone's great. Um, but I think that, you know it's such a thrill to watch an actor who has not been served such a uh such a meal before to really tuck into it, you know? Yeah. And and to have it work so I mean the the scene on the boat alone is like should be taught at Juilliard. Like it's just such a beautiful, <laughs> like weird and you know, but just so telling and well rounded piece of acting. It's just so exciting to watch.
0: Are you watching the new Gossip Girl, or have you watched like all of it?
2: I watched the first four to review it, and uh, once I filed a very negative review, I have, <laughs> didn't didn't go back.
0: Okay, so I haven't watched it because I like I don't have a close association with the original, so it's like the whole the whole hype of it kind of missed me. But <clears throat> an observation I can't remember if it was in like one of our VF meetings or I saw it on Twitter or whatever, but someone was saying that like uh, the characters of Olivia and uh, Paula these like very scary teenage girls are sort of who the gossip girl teens wish they were. I don't know who I just lifted that take from and I apologize because I can't source it. But um would you agree with that? Like I I find them so scary until like things get more complicated but like initially so scary in such a very accurate way the way that like young women and their eye rolls can be so scary. <laughs> um what what do you think of that? Thought?
2: Yeah. It's possible that I brought up that tweet on Little Cold Men. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. I don't, I don't remember. Okay. But
2: no, because maybe we're just coming at the same thing from different directions. But yes, I think that's so funny. It's such a funny observation, and it's true, is that, you know, white somehow, I mean, I think it really, you know, these two actors are so good um, that, like, it's kind of making fun of the kids of that generation of a certain sort of status, you know. But also it again, it has understanding about them and their concerns and like um and I think that what's so scary about them isn't any sort of like overly manufactured bitchiness in the style of Gossip Girl, both old and new. And and more just that like they're smart and they have more of a future I mean you know, climate collapse notwithstanding. Then, you know, these kind of older, these more grown-up people, like, and they're just sort of aware of their, like, their power in the world, I guess, you know, and, and, and unafraid to sort of wield it a little bit, like, carelessly, you know, and I think that's what makes them scary, not that they're sort of tossing out these kind of overly written zingers.
0: It's so, it's so fun because... It does. It reminds me of like um, the trend I think originated by, not maybe not originated, but, but definitely popularized by Kevin Williamson with Dawson's Creek, uh, and then Scream and all this sort of. There was this this like trend in the nineties of like teens talking like adults, right? Uh, and it was this whole thing. And I love that these girls are sort of like paddling in that pool, but like ultimately, I mean, especially with everything that happens with Paula like these are also scared children do you know and um but they're like performative reading like everything about it it's just it's pitch perfect it's it's wonderful
2: yeah and i think that you know to watch paula make such a catastrophic decision and mistake you know is such a good remind, such a, a good way to remind us that like oh these are just kids and then olivia kind of you know going back under her mother's wing, you know, and and, yeah. and and cozying up to the family again, to be a kid, to act like a kid again, essentially, like, is a really nice portrait of people at that age who are you know, sort of teetering on the brink of adulthood, but still have a lot of childish tendencies, you know, well, I mean, that's true of people well into their 20s, you know, uh, well, not, not all people, but a lot, you know, certainly people of this sort of, like, economic station, let's say. Um, and I think that, again, he White afford and and the performances afford these characters a certain understanding um, while also, you know, sort of eviscerating the, a lot of what they they stand for and maybe even believe in.
0: Yeah, it's... Um, Sydney Sweeney is a real standout for me. She's so great on Euphoria, and she's great here, and I find her terrifying. I think she's one of the scariest <laughs> people yeah. on
1: yeah. television. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um all right let's talk about my real my real true standout though in all of this um is murray bartlett as armand um he's he's first build probably for alphabetical reasons buddy but but like i mean if if there is a central character in this ensemble i would i would say it's armand um he's the tim because, curry
2: in this clue you know
0: <laughs> yeah sure um but uh you know we're we're you and i are are i well i don't mean Presume to speak for you, but I will say I'm a longtime fan of him. From looking from mm-hmm. Tales of the City, etc like he's fantastic. This is once again someone who I've long enjoyed, given an even chewier vehicle to show off what he can do. And I just think he's fantastic. I love that you brought up Tim Curry because there there are moments when he's bustling through the hotel when you can like almost hear the Clue music, yeah. like that. But like his, his Unctuousness and his hatred for the guests, and like all of it, is just and 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 you're tipped off from the start that that he is not just like a poor abused employee that we're going to be like rooting for by the way that he treats Jolene Purdy's character, Lonnie, who's only in the like opening um episode, but uh-huh. his carelessness around her is a good indicator for us that like things are gonna be a little sideways with this character i didn't quite anticipate how sideways it was all gonna go but like um uh, there you go but i i just i just loved every choice he made in this um what what are your arm on feelings
2: yeah i mean it's funny when i first heard about the show and i think that like hbo put out like a really brief little t or maybe it was like a clip that was part of their like coming in 2021 sizzle reel mm-hmm. or whatever i was like oh murray bartlett is in that new mike white show like that's exciting for him and then i saw oh he's just playing like the hotel clerk so like he'll probably just like pop up here and there but like still good for him i had no idea that he was going to have such a robust character to play over the course of six episodes and you know it kind of with him and coolidge it was just so exciting to be like wow i've never seen these actors get something this substantial i mean looking yes was to some extent but that was more the jonathan groff show Mm -hmm. um yeah it was just like really and he's so good at it and i think that like the stuff with Lonnie in the first episode, who again, we never see again, never hear anything about really, um, is showing like how infectious that sort of social class hierarchy stuff is. He can get berated by the guests and he can berate her. You know, there is a sort of chain mm-hmm. of command. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is stuck in the middle of it. And I think that what his ultimate journey is on this, on the show is like kind of breaking out of it to some extent, but also being driven insane by it, you know? Yeah. And and I think that it's just a really interesting way to look at, like, how how these kind of capitalist systems can, like, just really grind people into the dirt, even people who aren't you know, sort of on the lowest rung, so to speak. Um. So, you know, it is a tragedy, obviously, for him and his character, Um. but I do think that something sort of not hopeful by any means, but sort of en- enlightening does come out of it. The festival also features diverse vendors, as well as a specialty record, poster, and craft
1: fairs, and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.
0: As soon as um, Shane grabbed the pineapple knife, I was like, oh no, <laughs> Is it Armand? Like, yeah. Uh, and I was devastated because, like, I, I, despite all the bad choices he made, um, and all the sort of vindictive, manipulative things he did, like, I was so rooting for that character, um, and and did not have him even near the top of my like death pool list. Yeah. Um so there you go. Um, let us talk about, uh, the fact that the show has already been given a second season and a new location with an all new cast. Though I think Mike White said that, uh, there might be like a reappearance of another character, um, in, in the new location. Um, it's funny, I was talking to someone who hadn't seen the finale and they were like, well, Armand can't die because, um, like, I know that they said no cast members are coming for the second season, but like, they gotta they gotta transfer him to another hotel. And it's gotta be him, and I was like, oh uh, no, nope. nope, he's definitely not in season two. That's the one person I know. Um, but we, you know, we did a little fun like thought experiment with the VF staff about like w- what we would want a season two to look like. Where would it be? Um, and I don't want to throw anyone under the bus with their guesses because it was all fun and games. But like, I do feel like whatever it is there still needs to be that like racial component, like the whole thing of white people coming to Hawaii and watching like luau, performative luau, like Polynesian cultural center esque stuff. Like it is, I feels like a big factor. And so like, there were some pitches I saw that was just, it felt like very like this exotic locale. And I was like, yeah, but if it's all like white people or whatever, I don't know that that's as interesting. I don't know. What do you think?
2: yeah I know what you mean. I mean, you know when i my my pitch was to do it in the south of France at this hotel that where v f actually has its can party when when we have that um and and to sort of bring in like the tension in the south of France with you know white French people and people of like north african or you know middle eastern um descent or you know Im- immigrants um so you could add it there, but I think you're right. I also think that the thing about it is that like I'm sure that Mike White has a sort of globally expansive mind and is, you know, he's done, been on Amazing Grace. He's traveled a lot. Um, but like this is America this is an American story, this first season in a really big way, I think. And I think to, to, you know, I, so I think it would be more likely like, I don't know, not Aspen, but like some other Ritzy Miami, maybe, you know, I don't know. But I, I, I'm intrigued and I think that I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, there is a definitive like no 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 it's a totally different story totally different people we're not trying to like do a big little eyes and just like tack on a second season because you love yeah. these characters
0: yeah exactly and like um it, it reminds me a bit more of like knives out where it's like yeah it's a it's a franchise he could start for himself where like because because this has been so fun and like we keep, we keep saying he has cooked up so many meals for great. Performers that I can just see so many people clamoring to want to be in White Lotus season two. Like, oh, you
2: know? fully. And I think, yeah. it's, you know, also you think about like, you know, people, I've seen a lot of people be like, I had no idea Alexandra Daddario could do this because she's great on the show as well yeah. as Rachel. And it's like, and you know, the response has been, well, yeah, but she hasn't been given materially like this. So like all of these other actors who probably are like, I, I think I'm good, but I haven't gotten an opportunity to show that are probably like banging his door down and being like, please write something for me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the I want to talk a bit about we talked about like I don't know how how central like this idea of like white people going to Hawaii, uh, which I. I am a white person who lived on Hawaii for 6 months so I'm not like I'm not like uh, sitting too high on any horse but like um I lived on the North Shore I know uh, you know a lot about sort of local resentment towards resorts encroaching and stuff like that and um I think that idea of like almost this idea of like paradise or whatever you want to call it but this idea of like Inhibitions Stripping Away was really under underlined, underscored, to put a finer point on it, by the score of this show. Uh the composer is uh Cristobal Tapia De Vere. And I don't think I've ever heard a TV score work harder to create an unsettling mood than this one. Do you have any like oh, yeah. score thoughts? What yeah,
2: I mean it's really effective. It 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 sounds like birds in the trees kind of chirping it sounds like maybe some sort of like human chant it's like but but whatever it's birds or people or something else more ethereal like they are saying like something bad is coming and uh like the you know that something is in motion um and toward an inexorable sort of you know you know it turns out killing um but yeah it sets the tone so well it also i think like it helps offset what could be, you know, sort of interesting, funny, but like maybe familiar satire. It adds that extra layer of like deeper existential meaning, which I think, um, you know, is oftentimes what a good score should do.
0: Um, In the in this great interview with the L.A. Times, Mike White uh, said that he wanted music that makes you feel like there's going to be some kind of human sacrifice at some point the goal was a feeling of tropical anxiety. (laughs) It's like, yep, nailed it. There's one over, um, like maybe it happened over every episode's credits, but I think it's a penultimate episode. I let the credits play for whatever reason. And uh, like the score turned into like panting and moaning, like sexual panting and moaning. And I was like, I was like, is there an end of credit scene coming? I was like, nope, it is just, that's just the score. That's just what's happening in the background of the credits of this episode. And it's, uh, yeah, it's wild. It's it's a truly wild ride. I I did want to circle back to Alexander Daddario's character, Rachel. Uh, and I, I had a question for you, which is, you know, you and I had seen the screeners for White Lotus already, but the, and it wasn't a show that was an immediate, like people were immediately talking about it when it debuted, but it cut like, got traction over the weeks. That's the same thing ha- that happens all the time with HBO. The undoing, Maravie's town flight attendant, like you all you see uptick in the week to week sort of uh conversation. Um but I was wondering if you think putting a journalist in your show is a good way to get journalists talking about your show on Twitter. What do you think? <laughs> sure. I mean,
2: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't hurt. Um and that scene between Rachel and Nicole is just so Ugh. just blistering. I mean, it's just so horrifying <laughs> um Nightmare. and i love that he did it that way you know like it cuz it shows like cuz i think you're supposed to disagree with both of them and agree with both of them and like Rachel's work is kind of shoddy but also n- Nicole shouldn't be so nasty about it like you know because of what the the media in- the state of the media industry you know all that stuff um it just like it seemed to speak so plainly to a, a kind of real Truth, um, in a way that we don't often see, and so yeah, of course, like people in media, like ourselves, are going to be like start banging the drum that much louder for for the series.
0: It's just like that's that's what I saw first happening on Twitter was like people talking about Rachel, that scene with Nicole, or like the way that the uh you know Paul and Olivia made her feel and all sorts of stuff like that, and they're like, um, I just thought I was like, that's that's clever. I don't I don't know if it's intentional, but like, pro tip. If you want some, if you want journalists to talk about your show, put a journalist in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> put it in, like the poor girl is just doing like a listicle, <laughs> and, and Connie Britton's character just like rips into her. You are like, this is a a repurposed listicle. What the hell? Anyway, um, yeah, I, I just love that. All right, anything else you want to say about this season of television?
2: I don't think so. Well, I just wanted to highlight, I maybe one of my my favorite line, single line mm. in the show when Olivia is like revealing to Paula that she knows what the whole scheme with Kai was. And she's like, my, um, she was like someone, something bad could, my mom could have gotten hurt. Something bad could have happened. And Paula starts crying and says something bad did happen. And I think that sort of like awareness that Paula now has to carry back into the world that Olivia doesn't seem to give a shit about, um, is another really a big part of what makes this show so sad, you know? Um, but like expressed in a way that I feel like is subtle and like teenager speak. And, you know, so I, I thought that that scene was really great.
0: Yeah. Um, and like Paula dropping, uh, pulling an old Titanic and dropping the necklace that he gave her in the ocean, just being like, cause there's, I didn't expect her to, because that's not what the show I'm watching, but I, but there was a part of me that was just like, Paula, you can help fix this and she's just like that's just not something like she just scoots herself back across the line over on the side of privilege do you know what i mean that's yeah. the choice she made
2: and i but i think it also illustrates you know a sort of an impossible tension for uh you know people of color uh in any situation in life but certainly in those positions of privilege where it's like you you you're conscious of what so i think it's like double consciousness or something like you know like and at a certain point, what can she do? She's only – she's really a kid, you know? Um, and so I think that the show really illustrates well that um, really impossible position that she's in.
0: I mean, I, I want to have as as much empathy for her as you do. And I, and I do. And, and when you're a kid, you don't have the full picture. But I think what's true is that if she were to say something, like with Shane, nothing would really happen to her. Right? Like – the Mossbackers aren't going to, like, press any charges against her and stuff like that. And it's, like, a scandal that will follow her briefly. Right. And then not yeah. really touch her. But she does have the ability in that in that moment to help Kai enormously and chooses not to, right?
2: Yeah. And, and she's able to choose not to because she has the means to get on a plane and leave, you know?
0: Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um. All right. Anything else? want to say talk
2: about. Uh no, just people go watch Beatrice at Dinner, go watch uh Year of the Dog, watch
0: Watch Enlightened. Watch (laughs) Enlightened, Enlightened? absolutely. Oh I guess, yeah, that's the last thing I want to talk about. Someone um I think it was Dan Feinberg uh said on was saying something on Twitter about how like because enlightened is such an has long been this sort of like thing among TV critics where they're like, ugh you people don't understand what you threw away in enlightened. Right. It's just this sort of like thing that TV critics like to point to is like, we knew this was special and audiences didn't uh, appreciate it. And then it was gone. Um And I, I don't love enlightened as much as some people love enlightened uh though. Laura Dern is always a joy to watch. Um But enlightened had a little bit more of like people behaving badly in a way that like was more painful for me to watch. Yeah. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, why that there's a distinction, but
2: I think my favorite parts of enlightened were the were the poignant parts you know the episode that's all about the mom, the episode where mm-hmm. she goes on the um kayaking trip um yeah. and and the more ruminative things, and I think that white you know in his writing and in in this case in in white lotus direction um has you know maybe sort of softened a little bit he still has that like absolute ability to like pierce someone instantly, you know yes. um but and totally. Um, but he also, you know, has this sort of older, wearier, more humane side that we're you know, because his earlier films were really spiky, you know, and and people were almost kind of sociopathic. And you could argue there's sociopathy in this show, too. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I like the sort of more like the softer side of, of Mike White.
0: There's that, and there's so enlightened came out, uh, debuted a decade ago. Oh my <laughs> October, god, Ugh. October 2011, uh, and Laura Dern, uh, you know, she won a Golden Globe uh, for it, so it's not like it was a completely overlooked, and it got two seasons, so like it's not, it's not like it was nothing, but,
2: uh, and it really like launched this, this the the next phase of her career that yes. she's in now, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly, totally, but uh, I will say that something that Dan feinberg was saying is he was like i think i think i think i agree with you that there is some soft a little bit more empathy or soft softness to what mike white is doing here but i think also we as a society capital s are more uh more willing to embrace a dimmer view of humanity or a grimmer view of humanity Mm -hmm. um more willing to go down the road of of unlikable characters um or find that empathy for people who are doing unlikable things, I guess um, is a better way to put it. Um, So I, I think it does sort of speak to how the audience POV has shifted and that that has to do with like, uh, I don't know. We we survived the Trump administration, like you know, like our faith our faith in humanity has been recently extremely shaken by a number of things, and so I think this idea of like, well, yeah, of course, everyone's gonna behave badly. That's what that's what we're seeing every day, all the time now. Uh, so and it was always there. We're just maybe a little bit more aware of it. Yeah. Um. But at least we can find something to laugh about while while we're watching it, I suppose. So.
2: Yeah, and I think you know Mike White, you know, kind of coming around the same time as like Neil LaBude and Todd Solondz, And it was like in the, you know, the early mid nineties and it was like, Oh my God, these movies they are so mean. Like, you know, what, what a, what a shock. Like it's, it's the talk of Sundance, you know? And then that kind of became de rigueur. And then, then, and now we're in this, you know, phase of, <laughs> I don't know, American culture. And so it doesn't seem, it's not, a sh- it's not shocking anymore. Um, right. but what is so heartening about the white Lotus is that a talent like Mike White, like is able to evolve and, you know that, that many years after Chuck and Buck is able to say like, I've been watching and paying. I've been that observer, and here's what I've kind of assessed. You know, for, of the last few years, and I think that he does it so well is is really a thrill.
0: Chuck and Buck is a real, thrill ride. Yeah. Um. All right. So watch, watch Beatrice at dinner. Watch, watch Enlightened. Uh, watch Nine Perfect Strangers with us, which is like, uh, to preview Nine Perfect Strangers, if you haven't heard about it um it is uh based on another leanne moriarty book she wrote uh the undoing and also big little lies um and uh it's set in australia where nicole kidman with a truly outrageous russian accent it's set in Um, california
2: it was filmed in australia and oh, it's, it but, california, but it's supposed to be california and it does not look like california it looks like australia because that's where it was filmed
0: are you kidding me yeah. i was like so yeah. convinced the entire time yeah. that they had like flown to us okay well great stuff well, i suppose yeah melissa mccarthy's character drove there um anyway so, <laughs> yeah, uh, so. Well, it's a long drive <laughs> All right. Set in California, filmed in Australia, looks like Australia. Uh, great cast. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's about a bunch of people who quote unquote broken people who go to this wellness spa looking for um, enlightenment or health or healing. And uh, Nicole Kidman plays this guru and with some questionable means to help them uh, achieve that goal. So that that is, that is the gist of that show. So we will be talking about that. Um, like I said, it's based on a book so you can read all about it if you want if you want to know what's going to happen you can read all about it there are some uh added twists and turns in this adaptation and uh i i think it's i think it's interesting but it is it is uh unfortunate i think for that show that it is debuting sort of in the shadow of white lotus i will say because they're very they're they're fairly close in certain aspects and wildly different in other aspects so there you go Uh, So we'll be back to talk about that in about two weeks. Uh, Richard, until then, where can folks find you?
2: I'm trying to scout the new hotel for season two. I mean, (laughs) no one's asked me to do it, but I just figured why not. Uh, So on my travels, I'll be tweeting from Rila's and filing to VF.com. Where will you be until you and Anthony talk about what if?
0: yeah we'll be back next week uh with anthony to talk about what if uh you can find me on bf.com you can follow me on twitter at joe wrote this uh anthony has a great uh piece going up with the uh, creators of what if uh so you can get prepared reading about that and uh yeah we'll see you back here in the feed uh do not go to on any hawaiian vacations that's that's my recommendation stay home delta's delta searching stay home all right bye